In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, this is Patrick Pister, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSC and the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 28. Joining today is my clever co-host, Paige Wilson. Paige, Hello. thanks for doing this today. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we have a guest with us. Yes, we have uh, David Bowman with Knowledge Vine. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, David. So um, tell us a little about yourself and, and Knowledge Vine. How did you uh, you get into the industry? Let's start with your background. Okay, so uh, yeah, I learned uh, about human performance, and basically that's the core business of what Knowledge Vine does. We teach human error elimination techniques, and more importantly, we show you how to take the information and apply it in the field. So wherever you're doing work, touching work, and your employees are involved in work, we want to show them exactly how to do it and not be in headspace. And where we learned it was basically the commercial nuclear power industry. Primarily, we spend most of our time in the utility business, but I do have a background, recent background. Uh, I guess about 20 years ago, I did work for uh, Chevron uh, in the refining side and then specialty chemicals as an operator and uh, made my way up to shift supervisor. So I had a lot of people that I was able to uh, help along the, li- along, the, along the way. In that, realize that people are people. No matter what industry you're really in, people are people. And the techniques we learned in the commercial nuclear power side could be applied anywhere people are actually doing work. So that's a little bit about me. So with Chevron, were you doing actual performance and process improvement with the people aspect? That's a great question. Yes. Yeah, so I got, I got into uh, total quality management back in the uh, 90s and went into ISO 9001 auditing, internal auditing and external auditing. I was an operator by trade. Uh, and then got into total quality management. That's a, a, an adaptation of Toyota's process improvement well, system, or is it was kind of before them because Deming was the guy that we followed. Absolutely, you know, the uh, whole Deming philosophy, the eighty twenty model, that kind of thing, and then that led right into the ISO nine thousand one attributes of quality that you had to have inside of a, uh, a supplier like a Chevron, and so it really just worked out really well to be touching people at that level uh, to learn about more quality improvements, and then that led me over to the nuclear power industry where I learned the human performance side of it. And that's kind of where the background of this came from for me. It's a, a big safety industry there, the nuclear power. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of no regulations, a lot, yeah. lot of things to follow. Oh, many, lot of, many. A lot, lot of people uh, in your business. Yeah, over 700 procedures actually to uh, operate one of those plants. And so it's, uh, it's pretty intense. You know, a lot of training goes into it, a lot of uh, ensuring that we don't make mistakes, have human errors, that kind of thing. And then from there, we took it out of nuclear power and rolled it into more of the transmission distribution uh, in the field uh, work. And amazingly enough, it's pretty transportable. I mean, people are people, again. You right. know, so whether you're doing uh, the work of splitting atoms or you're out hanging conductor or you're out operating an oil rig, it's uh, kind of the same thing. I like what you were talking about at lunch, that the nuclear power industry has kind of engineered a lot of fail-safes into the system that if everybody just got up at lunch and walked out of the facility, that nuclear power plant will shut themselves down without an incident. Yeah, people are, I, I don't think they really know much about how the, the plants work, and they are very, very safe. And if you really look at how the layered defense strategy works, uh, you don't want to have one single point of failure ever in something that catastrophic. 
So there's 17 or 18 ways to shut that plant down automatically without a person even touching it. So it's it's pretty That's pretty, uh, amazing. pretty intense. Yeah. 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 yeah but so it's you, but it's for a good reason. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you were in nuclear power, and then so um, Knowledge Vine, that your company now, how did that get its start? Okay, so we uh, saw the need uh, outside of nuclear to bring this to other folks that were doing dangerous work. And on the other side of the company, uh, the, cur- the commercial nuclear power side has a transmission distribution side of the particular utility where I worked. And there were still a lot of accidents, still a lot of fatalities. And I said, why don't we fix that with this human performance thing? So the stuff we learned in, in the uh, nuclear side would be applicable there brought it over there and saw it kind of work really fast well when you get good at something and i'm pretty good at this this is my uh, my forte so to speak uh people recognize that and so it became a uh, hey uh, we work for the contractor would you help us do what you're doing with the utility and so i saw an opportunity and it was my passion my lifelong passion to get out there and help just anybody i could with it and that's why i wanted to start the company and get it going so i have a, a few other co-owners and we uh, we're all in this together and we've got a, a pretty nice run so far how is the adoption of what you try and get into the industry? The industry's a little, little slow, to, slow to adopt things, and you and I talked at lunch. We like to call human error human error right. and treat everything the same, but actually diving into what those root causes of human error are. Are you seeing a little bit of resistance there, or are people more open to these ideas? Well, the, the utility side is fairly easy because of the uh, North American Electric Reliability Corporation, or NERC, and they're kind of asking for, uh, if you're touching the grid, the power grid, you need to make sure you're not having human error. And if you just say it was a human error that caused a rolling blackout, they're going to give you a fine for that. So not mandating this yet, but it's really a, a heavy push in the utility industry. And anybody touching the grid, and you guys are probably aware, the the power grid right now is the number one critical infrastructure in the United States. So it's pretty important to not go out there and make mistakes and have rolling brownouts from people making mistakes at the uh, human level. So what they're looking for is management to be more engaged in the systems and how the systems are operated, policies, procedures, techniques, training, those kind of things. So it's kind of an easy push in the utility side. Where I don't see the traction happening yet is in other industries. And I think it's because this is something that's not typically known or talked about. You know, safety is kind of global, right? When you say the word safety, we all know what that kind of means. But when you say error reduction strategies, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Mind blown. Yeah, sounds great. That sounds (laughs) great, but not us, right? So so we have not tried to uh, go outside of utilities just yet because it is the easier target for us. But we're ready to to move into uh, other industries. So when you talk about this strategy, is it is it training staff on how to prevent, or is it more after action review you get called in to come in, now we know there's a problem, let's get somebody to fix it? It's a little bit of both. As a matter of fact, we have a formula, and it spells out remedy, and I'll tell you what that means is RE stands for reduce error, error frequency. M is management of change. Most people really don't know how to do change management. When you're trying to change culture, that's one of the things you really better be good at is change management. And so we worked a lot with the frontline supervision and uh, managers to make sure they understand how this culture is going to change. And then finally we get into error defense strategies. The ED stands for error defense strategies, which touches every part of the organization. And then the Y is the yield. So what are we trying to accomplish with all this, right? We could just say, well, we want to be safer or we want to make more money or we want to, you know, not make mistakes, but you're never ever going to get there without three really key ingredients. And those are accountability, commitment, and conservative decision-making. That's what the Y stands for. That's your return on investment. That's your yield. So typically when we start with a client, we know where your, where your weaknesses are or where your, dis, I guess, uh, misalignments are as far as the organization goes. And we want to target that with a survey. So we do a free survey to find out where folks are. Typically our, our clients know they need this already because of what I told you earlier about NERC. 
So it's kind of a already done deal. We do have a few that, hey, we just had a huge catastrophic issue. Can you come in and help us? So we do some post-accident uh, stuff as well. It doesn't really matter where we start. We prefer to start ahead of the accident or the catastrophic right. failure because we can be more proactive. But we can start pretty much anywhere with anybody. I'm curious about the surveys. When you do those surveys with your clients or prospects, mm -hmm. do they understand where their deficiencies are? It's a great question. And so what I've got is I've got an 11 by 17 matrix. And this matrix is nine blocks. And inside the blocks, I ask you about accountability at the uh, single person level. So if I'm an individual contributor, an employee, uh, not managing folks or supervising people, I have, a, I have accountability to follow the rules, right? And then I have an individual level of commitment to the company. What am I doing for the company? How, do, how, do, how does what I do match the intent of the values and the mission and the overall charge, right, of what we're doing? And then finally, how do I make decisions? Well, I do that at three levels. And so what we've done, we've created nine blocks in this matrix. One is individual level, one supervisory level, and one is the organization as a whole, so executive levels. We do an anonymous survey, 37 questions. And the reason we ask 37, uh, nine times four, there's four questions in each block. The first question is, what level of management are you? Are you executive, are you supervisor, or are you individual contributor? So that way we can sit there and look at the difference between how you see things and how the company sees things. So right off the bat, we have an understanding of where the misalignment may be or where it's coming from, and that's a really fast opportunity to start closing those gaps because of communication opportunities. Right, management's got one expectation Absolutely. that something's being met, and the, the guys actually doing the work have a completely different understanding. That, that definitely is a problem. Right, right, right. So the, so the survey is all anonymous. It's all done through uh, SurveyMonkey, and uh, we just take the back-end API, and we put it into our own software, and we can tell you where your gaps are. I like that you didn't reinvent the wheel and go out and do some other software. You're just using yeah. SurveyMonkey that's yeah. already out there. I that, that's right. That. It's that's very, right. very lean. Sure, sure. Uh, how do you see it across the industry when you do these surveys? Are you seeing similar deficiencies? Is there, are there trends within sectors of the industry? Or is it all over the board? That They're almost identical. It's really a, it's phenomenal when you sit back and think, how could it be this identical everywhere you go where you got, you know, the employees see things so differently than management thinks they're happening out in the field. I'll give you a really good example. One of our number one questions that always has the most discrepancy is, I or employees follow the rules no matter what. The employees will tell you 100% of the time, absolutely, and then management says, no, they're not following the rules. <laughs> and it always makes me wonder, if you know they're not following the rules, why aren't you doing something about that? I mean, that's what gets you kind of hurt at the end of the day, right, not following the rules. So right. You have them set up in place to keep people right. safe. Yeah, right. Exactly. But that is almost always a, a difference, you know, a discrepancy in the survey. So is it almost like a uh, look into human behavior as a whole through the tiers of the company? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and what it, and again, and what it does is to show you that if to follow the, the formula of RE plus M plus ED gets the yield of accountability, commitment, and conservative decision-making, what it does, it tees up the burning platform of why you even want to do this. I ask a lot of companies, why do you want to work with me? Why do you want to work with us? And they'll say, we want to be better. Well, that's kind of vague, right? But if I can show you how to get better through better accountability, better commitment, and tighter decisions and how you make decisions at the top and the bottom, no matter where you are in the organization, then what that does, it gives you a return on investment. I can also measure that. So if I come in and do a baseline survey with you, I know where you are today, and I can show you where we've taken you six months later. What kind of metrics are you looking at for those improvements? I look at safety metrics. They're the easiest ones to track. Typically, everybody's tracking REI or some, some version of how many accidents we're having, you know, normalized by personal yeah, hours. Yes, yeah. your TCR or whatever, mm -hmm. DRT. 
So we look at those right off the bat. That's always a good tell for us. But the problem with safety numbers are they can lie to you. You can have excellent safety numbers and still have really bad behaviors and just be lucky, right? So we're careful with that. We also look at profitability. We also look at, and this is a big one nowadays, what's your turnover rate? If you have a high turnover rate, that's telling you a story, right? Yeah. But we typically just let that be what it is, and, man, we can fix this stuff, you know? Are so. you more concerned about, you know, key position turnover, management turnover, low-level employee turnover? Is there – do you – or you even separate them? Is oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's all the same problem. And so and, – and I always go back to the mantra of people don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad supervision, right? right. So if your supervisor is not a good supervisor, and guess what? That's also a huge organizational weakness. How many people get promoted – because they were really good at what they used to do and they have no training in behavioral psychology or helping you make better decisions or coaching you or giving or just you having people skills. Yes. Right? Yes. Our, yeah. Our system is poorly set up that if you're a great wrench turner, the only next progression is to manage other wrench turners. Well, that doesn't actually mean you're a good manager, good That's leader. Right. I agree. We call it the super doer as opposed to a supervisor. You know, right. you were a super doer. That's great. But how are you getting things done? Was it the right way? Did it follow what the company wanted you to do? And was it more risk-taking shortcuts and you were lucky? And that's kind of a, almost a crapshoot. You know, we're, we're really looking at that and toning, toning, uh, toning our process into how do we fix that problem right off the bat. And so we do a lot of collective data while we watch and observe. And as we get, you know, more involved with the company, we do look at the supervisory level and say, how do you rank one to four against your peers? And if I've got a bunch of ones and one four, well, my four is my lowest performer, well, if they're not doing the thing we've asked them to do, what else are they not doing that you've asked them to do? Right. And what else are they not cascading, cascading down to their employees? So that's kind of the idea around that. So we're very data-driven. So we've talked a lot about the, the start of your process and, and doing these surveys and trying to figure out where the pain points are. Without getting too specific, can you go into some of the, some of the remedies, some of the fixes that you go in and, and that you do pretty much across the board that this always has to get done first? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to start with the executive leadership team. I think anybody at the top, that you're going to work with they need to know exactly what you're doing and what the plan is going to look like and what do you expect what do you expect to get out of this so i do that session myself typically from there we bring the supervisory folks in and we teach them uh, basically what this is going to be how it's going to work the same class we gave to the executives but we we start getting more into the tactical side of it how are you going to be able to help an employee and then we teach the employees the fundamental principles of human performance so our process is called topi total organization performance improvement uh, because we do use a lot of human performance, but we focus more on the organizational side to help structure the larger system issues and fix those down the road, right? But but we got to start somewhere, and the place to start right now would be human performance because that teaches you how to think about things a little differently and make better decisions. And I'll show you a little bit of that later on when we talk <laughs> about the safety moment. <laughs> so uh, we talked about at lunch, uh, we, we've talked about now here human performance and human error um, and how it just gets dumped into one bucket are you really trying to educate your clients on not just calling everything human error but getting down to the root cause of human error yeah how do you classify human error i guess is the question well that's a great point there's three ways to look at it from our perspective one is you either have a willful violation where somebody just says i'm not gonna i'm not gonna wear my seatbelt," right so or i'm not gonna follow the rules whatever that is and they just, just determine they're not gonna do it and it's all spirit of intent kind of stuff, right? And then a person that makes an act of error or has an act of error is something as simple as, ah, I forgot to put my seatbelt on, right? And you coach them and say, hey, your seatbelt's not on. They put their seatbelt on, it's over with. And then you have something called a latent error where we say, you really should be wearing your seatbelt, but we don't have any seatbelts in the car, <laughs> right? And, that, and that's, that tends to be the bigger system issue that we, we, we find most of the time. 
So we do a Would lot. Would you point of, that to procedural deficiencies or not having the right tool? What, what, are, what are the most common examples of latent error that you've seen? Yeah, that's a good question. I think policy issues, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, there's human error happening all the time. So the people that write policies and procedures, they're going to make mistakes as well. So the procedure not being right, not having the right tools, uh, one we're running into now is a lack of fundamental experience in the workforce. The workforce is uh, changing and it's changing rapidly. And a lot of people just they don't have the fundamental hands-on tactical drive that a lot of people from the last generation kind of had. We, we, we grew up differently, right? I mean, some people grew up on farms, and now most people grow up in a city. And so you're losing a lot of the, uh, the, the I guess, the hands-on. Hands-on, yeah, thank yeah. you. That's right. So that's kind of one thing we're seeing. The other thing is we don't have enough people anymore. We used to do these jobs with way more people than we do now. We're way lean. So that's kind of an organizational weakness too. If you don't have the right people, you don't have enough people, and your procedures are not that well written, you're just sitting there for a recipe for mistakes. I'd and say that's, further down the road, now you're looking yeah. at inexperienced people writing new procedures. Right, with exactly. Lack of experience. Yeah, yeah, I can see that great. being a compounding problem. That's a great point. Are, are you seeing it's the downturn that's a, that's a change? I know you talked about the way the younger generation was raised, you know, cities versus farms, but has the downturn really affected that with the loss of this? meaty middle management group well i think we're all we're all feeling a little bit of uh of pressure financially nowadays that we may not have felt 20 years ago so that is a certain part of it that you know to be competitive nowadays you have to be lean and you have to you said it earlier i mean i use survey monkey instead of going and hiring somebody to draw up and create software i'm going to try to do it as lean as i can as well because the profits aren't where they used to be so yeah i think there's a little bit of that that is a that is a potential. Well, I meant lean as in you know a lean manufacturing type. Yeah, of right, lean. Not, right. Not just uh, you know, doing <laughs> doing as much as you can. With it. <laughs> right. Wearing many right, right. hats. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I'm with you. Once you talk to management, you work your way down to the to the guys in the field. All right. Now, how are you getting these? And you know, we talked about process maps, but how are you finding out a policy or procedures written? How is it being executed? Executed? How is the feedback being given up the chain? How are you? How are you collecting that data, and what are you seeing out in the field? Yeah, so that's probably the thing that makes us the most different. As we actually go out into the work environment with the employees and the supervision to see them operate and how they do what they do. And we try to look at you know, everything as objectively as we can. So we use another tracking tool called iAuditor, uh, and we all have an iPad, and we rank basically how this crew or this work team is performing, and we give them an overall rank three times. So over three times, what happens, let's say, let's say you and I are riding around together in a truck, and I just met you, right? I'm going to do everything like I'm supposed to do it, especially if you're my boss or you're watching me. But by Friday, if we've done this three times, I'm gonna, you're going to start seeing my real behavior and what's kind of eking out of that. And so we like to look at, okay, so why is a person doing what they're doing? And how is that happening? So I go back and look at the policies and the procedures and how their management team operates and, and how the worker gets their information. And then what do they do when they don't know what to do? So when you end up in that spot where you're supposed to stop, what do you recommend they do? And I ask the supervisor that. And so that helps us kind of understand how to provide this information to the, work le the working level uh, at a, in a way that makes sense to them. So it's not just, hey, I heard all this information last Thursday and now it's Monday and I have no idea how to apply this stuff, right? Because a lot of the stuff we're talking about is real true behavioral psychology that's been proven for years, but it's been, it's been proven inside of a nuclear power plant where you have the infrastructure to control those kind of things. So we like to get out there and show you hands-on how to do what we just taught you to do. And we find that to be the most impactful way to teach a person to do something. I can tell you a lot of information, but 
are you really going to retain that and know how to do it? I liken it to a football analogy. We can sit around a table and talk about how football is played, but until you put the pads on and go play it, you just don't really understand what that means. Right. Do you know how to swim? Well, I read a book once, so I think I got it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so are you following up after you do that? You, you know, Instead of sitting in a classroom and, and sending them out, you're, you're hands-on teaching Hands-on. Yep. And do you come back and, and see if that knowledge is retained? Are they still following the, the set path? Absolutely. We do have a, a refresher training program. We do a lot of this part of it online. Uh, but our, our key piece of follow-up is to help them with the ED side of that formula we talked about earlier, the air defense strategies. Once you've done all this, now you have to really start thinking about how do we write the procedures the right way? How do I make sure I have the right people doing the right jobs? I take the data and we take the analysis of that data and show the management team how to get better around those areas. So the ED side of the, of the equation becomes the most important thing. But it's also the hardest thing to do. It's the, it takes the longest to shape culture based on that part of it. So teaching the information, delivery of the information, application of the information is all one piece of it. But now the management structure side and closing the holes in the cheese, so to speak, is where we come in and we, st- we stay with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's easy to see an incident after it, sure. or a problem after an incident occurs. But you're trying to go in there and do this error defense and preemptively prevent things from coming in. You know, closing, right. closing the holes in the Swiss cheese. Absolutely. You, That's, you yeah. got it. Yep. When you're out in the field and, and doing these surveys and talking with the guys and you're ranking them, is this a true MSA, a measurement system analysis? You said you go back? Yeah, absolutely. We want to we see if you're getting better, right? So, the, so the, what I look for, first of all, is what is your trend? So if you're a supervisor and, I, and you've got a crew of us working for you, I want to see what your numbers are the first time we come out with the objective data. Now, I'm going to ask the same set of questions three times. So every time I come back to you, I want to see progression. And what will happen is you can quickly start to separate a whole rank and file of supervisors into thirds. There's one third that just aren't going to do it, okay? And typically at the end of that scale, those are folks that aren't very good supervisors typically. And then you have a middle scale that's kind of saying, you know what? Sorry, I don't mean to stop you there. Do they have a set of characteristics that you've been able to identify that this bottom one third, if our audience is listening right now, Mm -hmm. can you list off a few characteristics that you may want to look at those guys a little closer? We We would say, are you implementing and actively using what you just got taught. So when you went to class last week as a supervisor, we spent two five-hour days showing you how to model uh, the act or the tool, and we'll talk about later, of self-checking. Self-checking is one of the most primary and functional human performance tools on the list. So if you want to go into that, we can certainly talk about, you know, that means you're going to stop, you're going to think through what you're doing, you're going to take the action and step back and say, did I get what I wanted? That's that's a very fundamental human performance tool. And if you think about that right there, if you just did that, how many mistakes would you really make if you did it every time and it really became a behavioral pattern or a behavioral uh, structured uh, thing that you really do? And so you have to we, build that into, in, into people. It, it, takes it, it goes against what we're programmed to do. It, oh, it yeah. our, you know, whatever you want to call it, the lizard brain that finds <laughs> the quickest and easiest solution sure. without actually having to think about it and process it. Yeah, human nature, right? Exactly. So, so, so back to your question, the, the supervisor needs to – demonstrate that to the worker because if I can see my supervisor do it and they're taking it seriously then I know it's something you want me to do it's a behavior that you're showing me that you want me to exhibit right so one of the first things we do is we say are you implementing and distributing this information and living it demonstrating it every day as you walk the walk right so to speak and we can judge that based uh, one to ten inside of one of our questions and so I can look at a at a supervisor or a leader and see if they're really engaged in this or not or are they just going back to what they did last week? 
And so that's what we're looking for. And we usually right there, we like to coach them and help them. We see you, you're failing with this. We don't want you to fail. We want you to be successful. So right, we'll your coach goal is not you. to just run somebody off. That's it's, right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's all about salvaging that person and helping them get better. Because a lot of times they just don't know how to do it. So we spend a lot more time coaching and mentoring that individual so they don't end up at the end of the spectrum. And we want to see that, that staircase, you know, I'm getting better at this kind of thing. Creating good habits. Yeah. Because what will happen is if you leave it alone, uh, that person will just say, well, it's really not that big of a deal, so I'm not going to do it. Right? right. And then it'll go right back to where they were. So that's what we're trying to prevent. Yeah. Like you said, if, if management doesn't really reinforce it, if they yeah. just sit them down for a one hour online training and then send them back to their job that that doesn't really let them know that, that was an important training that that's they, right I, I agree with you i don't think there's people in in the oil field that really want to do things poorly mm-hmm. not just wrong but i right. everybody that i've run into wants to do a good job they want to be proud of what their work sure whether it's three weeks or four weeks at a time and then they're home when they're out there they want to leave a good job for the the guy that's coming that's right coming there back to back that's and that's pretty typical of all industry. I, I don't really see anybody showing up on purpose to mess up. It's right, because rare. when that happens, people yeah. people can die. Oh, sure. Yeah, your quality of life can go down fast if you're oh. just doing rework. You can die, like you said, have a fatality, explosions, whatever. So I agree with you. I think typically mankind is good. They're not bad, but we are fighting human nature, and we do normalize our own deviations. We have tendencies to slip and forget and have lapses. So that's what we're trying to prevent. I, l- I love to use, use that term. Can you go into a little detail what normalization and deviation? It, it's a term that the industry uses, but I don't know if our audience completely understands what that is. Okay, sure. Yeah, normalization and deviation is over time, human nature kicks in, and you get used to doing something a certain way. And let's just say you have a uh, standard that's set that every time you're going to walk out the door, you're going to make sure the door is closed and latches. So if you open that door a thousand times a day and behind you it springs closed and latches, how many times are you going to really stop and see if it latched? You're going to get used to that. Take it for granted. Yeah, doing what it's supposed to do. And so what happens is over time you just say, well, it's going to close and latch. And you normalize that deviation until the day it doesn't close and latch and maybe somebody steals your TV. I mean, now you've got an event, something you didn't want to have happen, and now you quickly, you know, do something to get it back to the standard. And that's really important to know because that is typically human nature in a nutshell, right? We all tend to do it. I'll give you another great analogy, driving. When you started driving and you're 16 years old, man, you, you've got your hands at 10 and 2. You're watching the mirror, right? <laughs> yeah. but, but now we put our hand, our wrist up on the steering wheel. We drive with a cheeseburger in one hand, a phone in the other, and, you know, it's just crazy. So over time, we normalize the deviation. Now, I'll tell you the thing that I like about that, though, is right above that standard line, getting back to standard, that's going to keep you in compliance, right? Right. But discretionary effort, really, really stressing the point that we want to be better, we want to raise our performance, that puts you over that line. And that discretionary effort, that's how you get excellence. That's where you get to excellence, the discretionary effort over the compliance line. And that's what we want to help companies do. Excellent. That's yeah. great. Thanks. And that brings us to the Red Wing Tip of the Week. All right, you want me to take that one then? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so earlier we talked about a tool, a human performance tool, one of the most fundamental, easiest tools to teach and use, and it's called self-checking. And it's a behavioral standard that uses the term STAR, or acronym STAR, S-T-A-R. The S stands for stop. And what we want to do there is we want to slow down and think about what we're doing. So as I slow down and, and stop and consider what all could go wrong here. I'm also thinking through my actions. What is my next action? And then I want to take the action and then step back and say, did I get what I wanted? That's the R, the review. So if you think about STAR, 
if you were doing this on your job, anything you're going to do that could cause you harm, if you stopped, thought about it, and then took the action and stepped back and reviewed, you'd probably be very successful. great analogy here is locking your keys in the car. We lock our keys in our own car because we don't stop and think, and we close the door and we leave them in the ignition. And so that's what we're trying to, to work with here on the Safety Minute is to, to, you can start using this tool today. It's free, doesn't cost a thing, and you can do it at home. Uh, and you can do it at work. So stopping, thinking, taking the action, reviewing is the simplest, fastest, easiest way to not make mistakes. I think it's a great safety tip. I, I really want to continue on it. because uh, So how do you get people to, to keep that front of mind? How do you prompt them? Is it Should they carry a card that, that reminds them? Do they need a sign at every spot along their work site? Or is this something that you just have to condition? You, you, you train and you retrain and you get people used to it. Well, training and retraining is the absolute way to make it a standard. I think to the easiest and quickest way to get somebody to want to do this is to show them the value in it. I mean, if I know what's in it for me, I'm going to do it, right? And if I can go home and, and teach my 18-year-old son to stop and think before he takes my $6,000 lawnmower out and cuts the grass and throws rocks against the house – then he just saved us both a lot of time and effort, right? So I think showing the intrinsic value and the, and the what's in it for me piece is the way to get folks to really want to do this and be motivated to do it. Yeah, and the, the industries, I mean, they use stop, start, focus, all, oh, yeah. these, all sure. these different acronyms for a, a similar program, but, you know, incidents still occur. So with, I guess I'm really getting at, you know, how do you keep people before they do something dumb or make a mistake or, or get into trouble? keeping them on that star path yeah and if you noticed i said earlier it's a behavioral standard right so how do you create a behavioral standard i mean we can talk about behavior you whip them (laughs) we'll fire them all right so so that's the idea is that we want to keep repetitive uh information coming we want to show you that what's in it for you over and over again i think the observations and coaching and mentoring in the field is the easiest way to show you that I'm not out there to catch you doing something wrong. I'm out there to catch you doing something right with STAR. If I see you stop, think, act, review, and I can actually observe these behaviors, then I can pat you on the back and say, thank you. I saw you do that. That lines up with our mission and vision and our core values here. Positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are are very, very needy people when it comes to that, and we just don't do a very good job of it. Well, it's a lot easier to punish somebody and catch somebody doing something wrong. And and some people like catching people doing something wrong and catching them in the act. But yeah, the positive reinforcement just—it's not that out there a lot, and there's not a lot of training on it. People aren't really yeah. trained. How do you motivate your workforce when you catch them doing the things that they're already supposed to do? And that's that gap we talked about earlier with the supervisory level person and management to some extent. We we were super doers, you know, and we became supervisors, but I didn't really teach you anything around how to do that, right? I mean, the whole motivation piece we're talking about—I'll I'll give you an example. We do teach something called coach. And it, the whole acronym around that for supervisors and managers is to show you how to communicate your expectations clearly, how to observe work, and here's the key, acknowledge good behavior. When you see good, you got to say that was great and then show them what they did that was so good about it, right? The other C is change management. you got to know how to do change management and do it right. And then the last one is to help. How do I help an employee get there from here? How do I help them see the value in all these things we're talking about, right? And that whole thing is kind of just skipped over in typical industry. Now, we can go to college and learn some of that, but that doesn't make you experienced in the field with it and getting somebody to be motivated around these things we're talking about. So that's the key thing we teach in the middle to the supervisory management folks is, is are those key attributes. Not to focus too much on the negative, but what are some of the most common problems you see with leadership with the managers that are trying to do good but are, are missing the mark and 
you can make a simple tweak to the, their approach to fix it. What are some of the... I'll tell you, communications are the biggest problems I see. I see it in failing marriages. You know, right. I see it in bad relationships with your kids. You see it in organizations that are misaligned. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for really good, powerful communications and being clear about what you want and being clear about what we do and how we do it. And that's how you set the standard, right? And, so, and, and then a lot of times we'll go into some nice executive room and we'll come up with all these mantras and mission visions and, and statements and all these things to go do. It doesn't mean anything to anybody, and we don't really communicate it well to explain what their part of it is, and how do we all contribute to this overall success that we're trying to accomplish in any business? And so we put these banners out with the mission, vision, goals, and values, and everybody goes, well, what does that mean? I don't know, know, but it looks pretty. Yeah, it looks great. (laughs) And and we'll make a lanyard card to hang around your neck and a hard hat sticker next week. So no one really understands, you know, what is that? What's my part of that? So the communication piece, I think, is the biggest gap. The second one, I would say, is just the lack of understanding how to manage you know, like we talked about already, just a, I don't really know how to communicate my expectations or how to really give you good positive reinforcement when you do something right. Let me, let me combine those two. And you have somebody that you're going to coach and they say, I told them they're just not listening. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you do to, <laughs> I would do, I would want to do a paired observation. I would want to see how this person actually coaches, yeah. you know, because a lot of times we don't know how to do that either. And I, and I'll tell you, having been a manager, it's hard when you go out to coach and observe because everybody's problems are going to come to you, and now you have to go do something about it. So a lot of people avoid that role because it's so tough. It's hard to do it, you know. And then you get into a session where people are saying, well, I don't have enough stuff. We, we are not spending enough money. There's nothing you can really do at middle management's level to fix that. So you end up just avoiding it, right? So I like to go do paired observations with managers and see how they communicate their expectations, and then I give them personal feedback on the side. I don't want to do that in front of somebody's subordinate. I don't think that's the right way to handle that. So I'll let them coach the person, see how they do it. What is what you what do you what do you think that person heard? Is one of the questions I like to ask right off the bat. And uh, it's funny how much we don't really know about ourselves until you get into a truck and you turn the air conditioner on and you're sitting there with that supervisor and you ask him, you know, when's the last time you really had any training or somebody came out and watched you or coached you, and it's hardly ever. So that's how I would start. Do you have any problem with observation bias? Just the fact that you're there observing the interactions. Do you do people modify their behavior when they're being? That's a great question. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's why we do three rounds, and we also do it with three different people. Because if I go out in the field and watch you two guys, you know, sooner or later we're going to have something in common. You know, either you fish, you hunt, you do whatever. You know, we we have that alignment. I'm going to judge you better than I'm going to judge you. It becomes biased. Exactly. So we do we do come in and we do shake that up and say, okay, we, we're going to use this person to do this round of observation with these set of people because they've never seen them, they've never talked to them. And we like to do that. And we also have the structured questions to make sure they're asking the same objective questions over and over again. And then we'll pull them all in together and ask, how did you give this an eight and give this a six? and ask difference of opinion inside our own team because we can start to normalize our own deviations, right? So we know we're fighting that our, as well. Good question. Yeah, great. Well, uh, David, this has been great. Um, if people want to find you know, th- – oh, sorry, first, thank you for coming on the, on the podcast. Thanks I mean, for having is, me. This really has been a great appreciate conversation. It. I wish we would have had microphones at the, at the lunch as well. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. covered a lot of good things too. <laughs> um, but I, I want to say thank you. And if people want to reach out to you personally and Knowledge Vine um, – where do you want to send them? I mean, you want to leave them with any parting words? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is just go to our website. It kind of explains the whole process. It's um, There's a lot of information there, so don't get bogged down in that. But it'll tell you how to get in touch with me. So it's www.knowledgevine.com. 
and uh, you'll see us on there. There's a lot of writings we've done. If you type in, you know, human performance or knowledge vine, human performance, you're going to find some writings and things we've done on the, on the, web, on the Internet. So it'll kind of explain more about this. But that's the best way to get to me, I think. Excellent. Well, David, thank you very much. And uh, right. so that brings us to this week's winner to the Red Wing Offshore Bag. And this week's winner is Andrew Bender. He's a floor hand at H&E Drilling. Congratulations, Andrew. Your Red Wing Offshore Bag is on its way. If you'd like your chance to win one of these awesome Red Wing Offshore Bags, go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. There's no purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. Yeah, that kind of brings to a close here, but we need to talk about the um, LinkedIn group. Paige, you want to tell the audience about the LinkedIn group? That's where we put out all of our exclusive content, uh, where we're going to be next, uh, release uh, each show. And Paige does all our moderating there. She Oh, yeah. She- yeah, definitely keep everybody in line yeah and keep the spam out too yes absolutely so that's that's a linkedin group it's a great community there um you can also find the show on uh oilandgashsc.com and that's the first place next to the right same time as the oggn linkedin group you can find our stuff and i think we have a facebook group we do have now a facebook. now yeah jake set up our facebook page for the oil and gas global network we do facebook live and that's growing very quickly yeah so jump on there if you're on facebook if you're on linkedin we are going to be on the road um, and we've got a uh, 2017 road sponsor. That's Lee Hecton Harrison. They're the global experts in talent management. Lee Hecton Harrison is currently helping 75% of Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexity of leadership and the workforce transformation. Um, so they're helping us get on the road. We're going to be at a few events coming up, the Process Safety in Oil and Gas in March, a Texas Open Invitational Conference end of March, SPE HSE Conference in mid-April, OTC in May. And if you want us out to any of your trade associations, conferences, anything like that, you can reach out to myself, Paige, or Mark. And uh, yeah, we would uh, love to come to one of your events, but our schedules are filling up pretty quickly. Oh yeah, yeah, get it. We're booked through summer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's getting busy, but we, yeah. we might be able to squeeze somebody in if they, if they really want to reach out to us. If they, yeah. So I think that about covers everything. Uh, I believe so. Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London, to Dubai, and beyond. Five hundred KV hand over hand inspections. So a five hundred KV line is five hundred thousand volts of energized electricity. And these guys go up in a helicopter and they become they bond onto the system, so they become part of it's equipotential zone grounding is what it's called. And so they reach out with a wand. They're also in a metal cage suit. It's like a, uh, what do you call that? Like um, a Faraday cage type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. And, uh, so <laughs> that's cool. So they, uh, they get in this. They, they draw the arc to themselves so they become part of the potential. So they're not a different potential. And they get on the 500 kV energized line and do hand over hand inspections. Wow. It is phenomenal, and it's Crazy. just terrifying as a safety professional. <laughs> You're just going, "What are you doing?" You know, but it makes really does make sense when you know that the way electricity works is 
there's got to be a, a, a difference of potential to draw an arc. So if you're part of it, then it's like a bird landing on a wire, right? They land on the wire and mm -hmm. they don't fry. <laughs> it's because they're part of the system. It's right. just, uh, it's crazy.